Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California Senator Kamala Harris assailed the Trump administration's handling of the coronavirus pandemic in her first answer during the debate with Vice President Mike Pence last night. The American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. We'll hear what debate moments stood out to you. Then... Proposition 17 would allow people on parole to vote, which would mean allowing some 40,000 additional Californians to cast a ballot. We'll hear the arguments for and against. Forum is next. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Last night's restrained sparring between California Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence was notable for its apparent normalcy in anything but normal times. More than 210,000 Americans killed by a pandemic, a president with COVID-19, and the first Black and Asian American woman on the vice presidential debate stage who would not be interrupted. The truth and the fact is Joe Biden has been very clear he will not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. He said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Uh, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Well, <laughs> I'm speaking. Joining me now, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and co-host of Political Breakdown. Thanks so much for joining us, Scott. Happy to be with you, Mina. Also with us is Erica D. Smith, columnist for the Los Angeles Times. So glad to have you here as well, Erica Smith. Glad to be here. So let me start with you. I mean, your take. On the debate last night, Erica Smith, what did you walk away with? What were your immediate impressions? I mean, I thought Kamala actually did a, a really great job um, in kind of balancing the ability to be able to kind of neutralize Mike Pence um, and also be able to get her point across. I was a little bit concerned um, being a little bit familiar with Mike Pence uh, during my time in Indianapolis. I covered him uh, when I was a reporter here at the Indy Star. And he was, you know, he's kind of a, he's, he's hard to kind of pin down and to get his point across. He's very good at evasive maneuvers and avoiding confrontation. And he's very good at making other people look uh, kind of like the crazy person. And so I was concerned that Kamala or Senator Harris would fall into that trap. And she did a great job. I mean, she was able to, to pin him down. As you mentioned, she was not going to be interrupted and let points go. Um, and so I thought she did. I thought it was a great showing for her. Yes, you'd mentioned that you were concerned she might get tripped up by what you called Pence's, quote, Midwestern nice. And uh, yes. I don't think she did. <laughs> no, I don't think she did at all. Scott Schaefer, what about you? What was what's your take on last night? 
Well, you know, in the Olympics, Mina, when you're looking at gymnastics, part of the score depends on the degree of difficulty. And I think going into this, they both had challenges, to be sure. I mean, Kamala Harris has never been on a stage this big. Uh, there were The stakes were very high for both sides. But Mike Pence, going into this, you know, by and large, had to defend a president who has really by almost any measure, screwed up the biggest challenge he's had to face, which is the, the coronavirus pandemic. And, I, you know, I think given how difficult uh, a task he had, he did reasonably well, uh, you know, honing in on very particular parts of the pandemic that made uh, the president look relatively good, like closing the borders to China, which Joe Biden initially opposed. Uh, the number of test, uh, testing, uh, testing has gone up high. That's a lot of that has to do with the states. Um, you know, so I think there were moments where he really did avoid some of the worst, uh, you know, policies and outcomes that the Trump administration has had to defend. I think Kamala Harris, I agree with Erica. She did, a, a, she was very steady. She was, uh, you know, uh, very prosecutorial, but not in the harsh style that we've seen in the Judiciary Committee, for example. Um, she was very, uh, you know, very uh, assertive, you know, in making sure that her time was protected. And I think she did that with a, a great big smile, which was good. Uh, so we'll see. I don't think it really changes things overall. There was no moment like, uh, you know, with the Benson quail debate where Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy, which was a great soundbite. But, you know, that didn't really change the outcome either. And I think that's really the case here. Mm. Well, you mentioned that you thought Pence uh, did a good job sort of trying to defend what was almost indefensible in terms of the handling of the pandemic. But one of the sort of offense moments that he got credit for was this moment around packing the court, his question about packing the court. Let's listen to that. You've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Yes. Vice President, I'm speaking. Eric D. Smith, I'm wondering, first of all, do you think that is the strongest sort of offense that Republicans can take right now? Because it does seem to be the one that they're really focused on. And, and what did you think of the way Kamala Harris handled it? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that's probably the best uh, offense that he had all night. And I think it it highlighted um, what has long been said about uh, Senator Harris, that she's very scripted in her responses to things. And when questions kind of come up that she is not anticipating, she's not the best on, on defense. And I think that that was definitely the case with that question. I mean, I think that she kind of made a good showing of, again, you know, saying, Mr. Vice President, I'm not, not I'm speaking, please don't interrupt me. But, you know, that couldn't cover up for the fact that she didn't answer the question. And, you know, it is an ongoing question. I'm sure that many voters will have uh, those few that are undecided and even those that are decided of what will happen um, if the Biden-Harris ticket is elected. But yeah, I mean, I think he he nailed that one uh, really well. And I understood in that case why he interrupted her. And I think it was definitely a good takeaway uh, for the Republicans in that point. In terms of where there was a glaring omission, Scott Schaefer, was when, was when Vice President Pence really did not answer the question, direct question about pre-existing conditions. I mean, how much well. do you think that was noticed? 
Well, not only did he not answer it, he mischaracterized it. He said, as President Trump has said, that they have a plan that will protect people with pre-existing conditions. The Republicans don't have a plan. They have never had a plan. Uh, they, their only plan is to get rid of the ACA, which they're in court trying to do. They have really never put forward, uh, whether it was when President Obama was, was president or more recently with Donald Trump, any kind of comprehensive plan that would suggest what they're going to do if they succeed in court in striking down the Affordable Care Act. You know, the reason there is a protection for pre-existing conditions is that it was part of what they called a three-legged stool at the time. And, you know, health insurance companies didn't like that, you know, because they could lose money on those people. But the mandate, they, they were guaranteed this mandate where everyone would have to buy insurance and they figured there would be a lot of new, younger, healthier people into the pool and that would kind of make up for it. So, you know, you can't just say we're going to we're going to protect pre-existing conditions without saying what else is going to be part of the package. Well, let's hear how Kamala Harris addressed this. This was definitely a, a moment that stood out to me. If you have a pre-existing condition, heart disease, diabetes, breast cancer, they're coming for you. If you love someone who has a pre-existing condition, Thank you. Thank they're you, coming Harris. for you. If you are under the age of 26 on your parents' coverage, they're coming for you. Senator Harris, thank you. You're Let me give you a chance to respond. Well, I hope we have a chance to talk about health care because Obamacare was a disaster. The American people remember it well. We're talking about last night's vice presidential debate with Erica Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join us. What did you think of last night's debate? What moments stood out to you? What are your reactions to the reactions? <laughs> there have been quite a few uh, for people trying to characterize who won, who lost, and who came off well last night. Give us a call. Eight 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Stephen writes, the worst moment of the debate for me was when VP Pence did not even try to answer the question about pre-existing conditions and instead started badgering Senator Harris about packing the court. And instead of pointing out this evasion and talking about health care, Harris took the bait and talked about the court. Disappointing. So weakest moments of the debate for either Harris or Pence, Erica D. Smith. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that probably for, for Mike Pence, I think one of the more weakest uh, moments that he had was when they were talking about uh, the Breonna Taylor case and yes. the George Floyd case. I think that, you know, obviously Senator Harris is going to have an advantage in talking about police brutality and race relations being a black woman. But I think that she was really able to kind of hammer home the point of uh, base, also being a prosecutor and talk about that, you know, she's been involved in implementing in law enforcement and, and Mike Pence being a governor and you know, a politician in general has not been. And he tried to land a couple of points uh, pointing out uh, just about the Trump administration's supposed support for law enforcement. And I thought she had a really made, made a really great case about the fact that she frankly was part of that apparatus in our government for a long time. But I think on the moral authority standpoint, I think that she was able to really talk about some of these cases in a very personal way that and look directly into the camera and talk specifically to voters in a way that Mike Pence never could. Um, I personally find it continually interesting that Mike Pence continues to not seem to not understand the concept of systemic racism. He kind of that's his statement about last night about how he thinks that it's an insult to law enforcement to say that um, 
systemic racism exists as an insult to law enforcement, as if to say that all cops are racist is the same thing as saying that there's a problem with systemic racism in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, you know, her ability to be able to parse those two things and talk about the difference was very important because obviously this is an issue that's been, you know, gripping the nation almost as much as the coronavirus uh, for the last few months. And so, and it's an issue that voters continue to care about. Um, He obviously tried to make the pivot to talking about rioting and looting, but I don't think it came across quite as strong as what Senator Harris was able to get across in talking about this need for reform. So I thought that that was probably her strongest point during the night. Let's hear a little of that moment, actually. Last week, the president of the United States took a debate stage in front of 70 million Americans and refused to condemn white supremacists. Not true. And not true. It wasn't like he didn't have a chance. He didn't do it. And then he doubled down. This presumption that you hear consistently from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that uh, that America is systemically racist Mm. and that, as Joe Biden said, that he believes that law enforcement has an implicit bias against minorities is, is a great insult. So, Scott, that was the moment that Erica Smith was talking about. She said she thought it was one of Harris's stronger moments, too, in terms of painting the contrast. Though, I wonder, did Harris miss some some big opportunities? For example, she didn't bring up Trump's calling off stimulus talk. She didn't talk about the Rose Garden event or his status as a positive COVID-19 person and the the outbreak at the White House, things that I think were a little surprising. Yeah, no, I was surprised by that as well. Uh, And at the very beginning, although I thought her first answer about the coronavirus was good, uh, she didn't mention his, uh, and, and I didn't think she drew a good enough comparison about what the Biden administration will do different, which enabled Pence to say, oh, they're plagiarizing our plan. Uh, But I was also surprised that she was on the defensive on the Green New Deal uh, and on environmental protections. I Mm -hmm. thought she could have really done much better making the case against Donald Trump there. Yes, the Green New Deal. That was interesting, the way that it was treated during that debate. Scott Schaefer is with us co-host of KQE's Political Breakdown and senior editor of our Politics and Government Desk, and Erica Smith of the Los Angeles Times, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And you, our listeners, are with us, and we will get to your more of your calls and comments right after the break. Again, that number, 866-733-6786, the email address, forum at kqed.org. And also, we're at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Vice President Mike Pence and California Senator Kamala Harris shared the vice presidential debate stage last night. That was in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was moderated by Susan Page of USA Today. And we are recapping the event with Erica Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, and Scott Schaefer, KQED's California Politics and Government Desk Senior Editor, and you, our listeners. And we're getting a couple comments about the moderator. Paul writes, I was extremely disappointed in the moderator for not stopping Mr. Pence's constantly exceeding his time, sometimes by twice the allotment. After warning him once that he was not following the rules he agreed to, she should have stopped thanking him over and over and essentially shouted him down. 
This listener writes, I was disappointed in the moderator. The debate commission omitted selecting any moderators who are not white, and it seems as if the moderators are not representing the questions and concerns of more Americans. Also, it was clear Pence thought it was okay to talk over women to women. So disrespectful. Scott, I'm going to go to you on this in terms of the moderator. I know you've moderated a lot. I'm curious what your reaction is to the moderator. Yeah, well, Susan Page is a, is a terrific journalist. Uh, she's actually writing a biography of Nancy Pelosi, as an aside. She's been on forum many times. You know, in a lot of ways, these are no-win situations for the moderators. Uh, you know, you, you do your best to kind of keep things under control, to keep the candidates to the rules. But, you know, you're, you're looking, you're talking to the president or the vice president president of the United States. How far do you really want to go? You know, the question is, I think the big question, are these debates still really useful? Uh, you know, if candidates, as both Harris and Pence did last night, can simply ignore the questions and do answer their own questions, uh, you know, what really is the value? And then perhaps, you know, maybe there should be something that isn't just the, the, the moderator saying, you know, you're out of time, but maybe there should be somebody said an air horn, you know, should go off. Or maybe a red light should be flashing that the viewers can see so they know that this person, the candidate, has gone over their time. I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, I think it's tough to blame it on Susan Page, the moderator. I think she did actually a, a pretty good job of keeping things on track. Erica Smith, I'm curious what you think. And also, you know, this point about Mike Pence and his Midwestern nice, it did seem like a moment where you got to see maybe a little less of that. <laughs> a little yeah, bit of a crack. Absolutely. I mean, not just when the fly was on his head, but, you know, I just want to comment really quick on Scott's point about the moderator. I agree. I think Susan Page did, did a great job. But I think to the listener's point about, you know, having more diversity yes. among the moderators, I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I think, you know, Kamala Harris is in this position where she's the first African-American to make it to the stage of politics on the national stage. But I don't think she's going to be the last. And I think that as this country becomes more diverse, and starts to look more like California, we need to really, if we're going to continue to have these debates, we're going to have to start looking at all aspects of it. And that includes um, the moderator, um, race and ethnicity of the moderator. But um, to your to the other point about Mike's, uh, Mike Pence's Midwestern nice, yes, it did crack a little bit. It started to seem as if, you know, you could kind of see the exhaustion of kind of him being the person cleaning up the mess of the Trump administration, being, you know, Trump's constant person that kind of is out there out front and, and, and making sense of whatever he, the president is saying. And, you know, it was, you know, he kind of stared off into space quite a bit. He looked a little bit ill, I think at one point, and obviously Twitter lit up about the fly and I guess his bloodshot eye as well. But, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the, the Mike Pence, I think of 2016 uh, debating Tim Kaine for sure. Um, and so you could see, definitely see the difference of him trying to defend um, four years of this administration, and I do not think it went as well. And it, it, his his act just did not work as well with uh, Senator Kamala Harris. And yet it was interesting, you know, how much when, especially among conservative pundits, there was a real focus on uh, Kamala Harris's, what they described as her likability, that she was abrasive and her facial expressions. I mean, at this point, I was surprised to see those things still being held up as standards with which to judge a debate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, Hillary Clinton obviously went through this uh, four years ago, but it is different for a black woman. I mean, that, you know, from the moment that Joe Biden announced her as his running mate, you know, Trump and others in the on the right were setting her up for this, you know, angry, angry black woman trope. And, you know, Senator Harris being a former prosecutor, you know, having a very direct style, she had to find a way to balance um, the two or many of these two things. And I think it was in some ways, it's kind of similar to Hillary Clinton, but there's an added layer of that intersectionality, right, of her her being black. And so 
in some ways it was kind of a no-win situation where there was always going to be people on the right who were going to use that trope against her. But I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, she did set a new standard for black women in politics and black women in power in general, where there is this sense of if I'm too direct or I'm too authoritative, that not only am I going to be seen as you know a threat, but I'm also going to be seen as all of these other tropes that go along with that. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, through the remainder of the campaign, how she's perceived if this keeps being pushed as this is who she is and how the public responds to that. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by that as a black woman myself. Let me go to Joanne in Sonoma. Hi, Joanne. Hi, good morning. Um, I really enjoyed the program, and I really think, unfortunately, that your guests both really missed the point that on the question regarding packing the court. Um, although Kamala, I was hoping, wouldn't take the bait, she not only took the bait in my mind, but she really scored points with it. And the part that you missed, which I thought was really, really important, was she gave an example, a clear example, of what packing the court means, which is the appointment of over 100 federal judges, of which none of whom are African-American. I mean, this is really what packing the court's going to mean for generations and generations from now on. So uh, I thought not only did she answer the question, I thought she knocked it out of the park. Joanne, thanks for sharing that. Let me go to Barbara in San Francisco. Hi, Barbara. Hi, hi. I thought that Kamala was very well-informed, had positive, energetic, energetic demeanor, was diplomatically assertive. As far as, as uh, um, Vice President Pence is concerned, he came across as a male chauvinist, maybe even racist toward Kamala, and, of course, toward the other woman in the room. Um, by cross-talking, talking over her, um, I, that really upset me. I was absolutely floored by that fly on his head. I'm sorry. I couldn't help but laugh my head off. I, 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 I think the fly came in second and Pence third. Well, <laughs> I'm the, sorry. The fly I'm has its own Twitter handle. Fly. Yeah, I know. Several, actually, now. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can bring Harfpe in here. Hi, hi Harfpe. Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I think... I think both candidates evaded the questions quite a bit more, so VP Pence, and I think that Senator Harris missed um, some chances to make uh, some poignant points about, especially when VP Pence said that they were politicizing, and that Democrats were the ones politicizing uh, with our uh, playing politics with American lives. Like, come on, you're the ones who've been in charge, and you know, look at um, all the number of folks who have um, had to bear the brunt of uh, COVID, and um, I. I also want to say that, you know, they, there was a, while the questions were very thoughtful, they were sincere, I think there was a lack of serious discussion about more topics that pertain to younger Americans like me. Um, you know, the ones with student loans, the ones who are locked out of housing markets, the ones who struggle with high health care costs and everything. So I think that there should be more, perhaps like someone else mentioned, more intersectionality and more diversity of mm -hmm. questions in that sense. What did you think of their response on climate change? I think it. Uh, I when I'm a civil engineer and I uh, work with um, I work on stormwater treatment features on a daily basis, and the challenges that we're facing are massive. Um, the water year that just ended in California and the Bay Area, especially, we got 50 percent of the rainfall than we'd usually do. So I think it did a huge disservice to all the folks on West Coast who are struggling from 
um, disasters one after another and just saying that, oh, the hurricanes just keep happening or that. Like Louisiana is about to get its sixth landfall this year. Like, you know, yeah. uh, I think they really missed the point on that one. Harpa, thanks. I appreciate you saying that. San Jose, he's calling from San Jose. Scott Schaefer, I was a little surprised too. I mean, there was a question about the wildfires. There was the question about the Green New Deal. And I was a little surprised that Kamala didn't take advantage of those moments. Yeah. And, you know, I think she did in some ways, you know, when um, on climate change, when Pence said, we're going to continue following the science. I mean, my goodness, uh, the administration has tried to undermine science on websites. She did mention that on that. I think it was the EPA web website took out climate change, took out the word science. Uh, they've also interfered with the FDA and the CDC websites when it came to medical and scientific information about the pandemic. And I think she did a good job of tying those things, those two things together. Uh, I didn't, I, I did think she missed some opportunities, uh, Senator Harris, uh, not talking more, for example, about Trump rolling back environmental protections. Uh, I thought she was also on defense too much on the environment, which doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, a little bit around fracking, a little bit about the new Green Deal. Um, you know, that said, I, you know, the the I, the feelings voters have about these two top candidates, you know, pre, uh, President Trump and Joe Biden, are pretty baked in. And I think this was really perhaps the last best chance for the Trump campaign to really change the trajectory of the campaign, which I don't think this did, but for sure, the, both candidates will, you know, be critiqued. But, but as Erica said, I think this was a really historic moment. And I think Kamala Harris, you know, being deferential and strong, not trying, I'm sorry, not being deferential, being strong and assertive, I think really, uh, you know, sends a message and sets a model in a lot of ways for not just women, but women of color in particular, who either are in office or thinking of running. Let me go to Diane in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Diane. Oh, hello. I am so delighted to speak with you. Um, I listen to your show every day. Wow. Um, I am a former identified Republican, and now I am just identified as an American, <laughs> a retired American, but I am an American. And um, what I wanted to hear a little bit more of last night is about who our current president owns all owes all his money to. You know, who is he in debt to? Uh, and uh, therefore preferential to their wishes. Then mm. I would love to have heard something about the attempt for <laughs> To run out the statute of limitations on his possible criminal uh, charges in New York based on uh, tax and uh, records of his companies. Hmm. And uh, so as someone who pays my fair share of taxes and as someone who loves my country, I, I just need these things answered for me, and I would like to have them answered, and I would like these things understood more by my fellow Americans. Well, Di Diane, thanks so much for saying that. I mean, Erica Smith, she's bringing up the revelations around Trump's taxes. Your thoughts on how Harris, Senator Harris tried to raise it and, and how successful that was? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think she she raised the issue. I think it's one of those those many things that we could have discussed a lot more. Obviously, um, I, I did get the sense that there was some hesitation on any kind of 
attacks on Trump specifically. I guess that was because of his COVID diagnosis. But I do think that, you know, in the terms of the broader economy and, and how people are dealing with the economy, whether it's, you know, through their jobs or through housing prices, which uh, Senator Harris also brought up, I think that the idea of Trump and his finances are a big thing. But I also think that there was a sense of she kind of raised it, but we didn't go deep too deep into it. I think it was one of those missed opportunities, again, that to kind of drive a point home. But I was glad that it was mentioned at all. Um, but it, the focus, I think that kind of got sacrificed to the focus on coronavirus a little bit. You know, Erica Smith, Scott uh, touched on this just a little bit. But what impact, if any, do you think the performance of both Harris or Vice President Pence, Senator Harris or Vice President Pence had on the presidential race? A lot of people are saying probably not much. But what do you think? I don't think all that much. I mean, I was I mean, I think part of the reason I was a little bit worried before the debate is if, you know, for whatever reason, there was a poor performance out of Senator Harris. I think that that might have had a more of an impact, and particularly with maybe some of the more um, progressives on the left. It's like, for example, if she had not uh, made such good points on police brutality and on, on race relations, that could have presented a liability, I think, with some African-American voters. Um, but I, I think in general, I don't think that she she did baseline good to, you know, better. I don't think that there was, it was a negative. So I don't think that she's going to lose, the, the, the Democratic ticket is going to lose any voters. I think for, for Mike Pence, I, I feel like most of the people that are voting for that ticket are pretty much decided for one reason or another. And, and facts don't, don't seem to really matter. I don't really think what Mike Pence says is really going to make them vote or not vote, um, even though obviously Trump is old as is uh, Joe Biden. But I don't think it's, Overall, I don't think it's going to make more most of an impact. I, and there are apparently some undecided voters out there, which I still don't understand how they exist. But I guess to that small slice of the electorate, I guess it could make a difference. But I don't think that, yeah. I, I do think that she was effective at introducing herself. I mean, we know her here in California, mm -hmm. but uh, she did take that opportunity. And one thing that I'm not seeing are suggestions that she did not appear presidential. I think you could see her as presidential, which is probably a big win for her. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that just in my travels and being in different parts of the country, you know, we know we're in California in a different light, obviously, but I think that she actually does have a pretty good national profile, you know, people, but they know her mostly from the Senate and they know, and, and there's a certain perception of her. And I think we in California have a more nuanced perception given her role in San Francisco and, and, and as attorney general. Um, so I, my impression is actually her role nationally is probably more positive than probably California, which I found really interesting after uh, Biden picked her as a running mate, just anecdotally talking to people and, and seeing kind of the coverage uh, around the country. But I, I definitely think there's no doubt that she appeared presidential and that she could take over um, if something were to happen to Joe Biden. Well, Mike writes, Kamala should have hit Pence harder on Trump's record. He appointed an oil executive to head the EPA. He's rolled back clean air and clean water regulations and has been fighting to open protected lands and water to mining and drilling. Christopher writes, why do Dems always seem to allow Republicans to hammer away at Obamacare when most Americans, in fact, approve of the ACA? John in Pacifica, join us. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. Hey, um, since the Trump methodology from the get-go was to flood the zone, to have so many things going on at one time that we're constantly playing catch-up, that um, instead of having uh, these events be a, a one-time 90-minute forum, that we need to have three or more where they can become real-time events, real-time fact-checking, uh, maybe red lights that go off when somebody's saying something that's not true or a green light if it if it's backed up, yellow lights, whatever, um, 
and use them as a teaching moment, kind of like what Ross Perot did uh, during the um, his his bid for president, where he was using charts to to teach people because we're not learning anything. American people, unless they're uh, in interested in politics, they aren't really learning. They're only mm. learning what they can from um, from uh, the way they do it. And last night we saw it with Pence just being this schmarmy kind of guy that just says, you know, like, uh, you know, gee, Mrs. Cleaver, you know, you look lovely tonight. Well, John, to John you're, you're mentioning, you know, more longer debates, more substantive ones. I mean, looking ahead, Scott, we may not even have a debate on next week, this town hall format that the commission now wants to be all virtual and the president saying that it's not acceptable to him and his campaign. I mean, is that a smart move politically? Uh, you know, like so many things the president does, it, it just changes the subject for a few hours. And then, you know, he'll be on to something else with uh, something else on Twitter that has people outraged or distracted from other issues. So, you know, who knows if he really means that he won't show up. I mean, I think he does have a point that, you know, if you're going to do it remotely, and I didn't know this, but last night somebody mentioned that the, the 1960 Nixon-Kennedy debate, they were in different places Um I, I have to double right. check that. Somebody, one of the correspondents said that. But anyway, I, I do think, you know, he does make the point that, look, if you're not even in the same place, who's going to be there with you? Can you look at a computer? Can you be Googling? Do you, can you have a teleprompter? You know, the, so I do think, I mean, those things could be worked out. But, you know, we're also, these things are all uh, organized by the, a presidential debate commission that both sides, both major parties agree to. And they're not going to color too far outside the lines. They're just not. You see that in the kinds of moderate moderators they've chosen and have chosen in the past. Uh, and so even if there are some changes, it's still going to be within a pretty narrow band of, you know, what we're used to. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this final debate schedule. Scott Schaefer, thanks so much for talking with us. Good to be with you. KQED's California Politics and Government Desk Senior Editor, Erica Smith. So great to have you on with us as well. Thank you. Thank you. Erica Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Thanks to Susan Britton for producing this segment. We'll have more this time on Prop 17. So stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.